This roundtable, question and answer session, was part of the Fatima Center's historic conference in Warsaw, Poland, which honored the 102nd anniversary of the Miracle of the Sun at Fatima. Speakers from this conference, included in this question and answer session, are Father Isaac Mary Relje, Father Michael Rodriguez, Father Karol Stelin, Christopher Ferrara, and Mr. Wojtek Golonka. The first question is for Father Isaac. Father Isaac, are you a sedevacantist? Not shocked by that question. Uh, no, I'm not. I pray for Pope Francis every day in the canon, which shows my union with him. Uh, does that mean I agree with him? No. I said, uh, we're living in tough times, my friends. Uh, we're not Protestants where we say, who's a, uh, you know, he's the Pope. Until God shows us he's not, you know, that's like accepting at the Pope. But that doesn't mean you accept his errors when he's spewing out errors after errors, heresy after heresy. In charity, you know, we should correct him, and that's what the church teaches. And as a priest who preaches the gospel, I have an obligation to be on the watchtower, to warn the people and, and point out the errors. But I also always tell everyone that we have to pray for him. And these things are all prophesied, uh, the apostasy in the church, and we, from the top down, and so on and so on. So it shouldn't shock any of us. But that doesn't mean we, we go along with it. And, and like I said, there's too many errors today about the Pope. People think sometimes when there's a conclave that the Holy Spirit chooses the Pope, that's all nonsense. What the Holy Spirit does, he'll inspire each cardinal in the conclave. If he cooperates with him, he will show him who to vote for. I said, so just because we have a Pope doesn't mean that he was hand-chosen by the, by the Holy Spirit. God promises us, and Vatican I tells us, that they will, we will always have a visible head of the church until the end of time. And I accept that, because that's what Christ established. And when we study fathers and the doctors, they tell us in the second coming, when our Lord comes, there will be a pope, a visible head, and there will be a small remnant. The second question is for Father Stelling. Father, and feel free to respond in Polish, are there any examples of countries that had political and other kinds of benefits thanks to the devotion or the consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary? I can't actually talk, tell uh, for the countries or situations that I don't know. I do travel um, across the world, uh, but uh, well, definitely what we noticed in some countries, uh, specifically these tormented countries, not, however, not all countries, but uh, through. Uh, in different countries, in, in different regions, we see uh, priests who really want to consecrate the Immaculate Heart of uh, Virgin Mary, Our Lady. I have heard of a situation where the Catholic bishops from Iraq 
In that very difficult situation, we, they, they made it. And uh, because of that, that's what I've heard from my friends, the increase of the Catholic faith was quite uh, significant. There was a new hope, actually, that inspired people. A new hope that uh, let Catholics believe that they go, actually, to the Holy Mother. I also have the uh, proof of the Catholic bishop that I met in Rome on the uh, occasion of the same uh, conference seven years ago. Uh, the, the bishop later wrote me that in, Ethiop in Ethiopia, at the border with Sudan, there was a very difficult situation of Catholic people. He was mainly uh, uh, working uh, in the camps of those rejected uh, Catholics from the South uh, Sudan uh, uh, up to the border with um, Ethiopia. And his uh, priests uh, placed a figure, a statue of the uh, Holy Mother. So those people who were deprived of everything, who didn't know, who didn't have anything else left, they were gathering across this, uh, um, around the statue uh, with a great hope, praying, praying the whole evening that they spent with uh, our lady. So that was the only joyful moment, actually, in their life. I have also experienced uh, the benefit, uh, the grace of uh, this consecration um, in Philippines. And, uh, there, our brotherhood of Pius X, uh, together with Elegio Maria and the Militia Immaculata, we together uh, organized peregrination of a uh, um, Holy Mother through whole Hel Philippines. One, two thousand two hundred and fifty kilometers through several months. So all our um, priests, when they were arriving in various places, cities, schools, hospitals, uh, um, always invited, actually, uh, people to make this deed of consecration. Usually it was, for instance, the son of a uh, ruling president in one of the uh, uh, Philippine city, he devoted his city to the Immaculate Heart of Our Lady. Sometimes it was really, truly spectacular event. Even though these events were short, but this little spark, actually, when somebody invited by the uh, Catholics uh, uh, asking for this consecration, uh, organizing this event when the Holy Mother visits you, appears in your place, wants to give you blessing. Uh, that was very spectacular. And then when we were asking for this option to, to organize this consecration, uh, the uh, leaders, local leaders usually agreed with the idea. And we've heard from many people that uh, many, many people uh, due to our deeds, actually, uh, get known to Our Lady, and they were converted. Now they are um, having this opportunity to enjoy Holy Sacraments. Our priests, over these last uh, these nine months, uh, 
Well, we're uh, confessing hundreds of people, these big fish, local big fish, big wigs actually, who were telling them, oh, last my last confession was like 20, 30 years ago. So these were the true signs proving that if you do something for the Holy Mother, if you uh, devote, uh, if you go for the consecration, you will be blessed with special graces. First of all, I apologize if any of you were scandalized by my cell phone in my hand, but I had to look something up. Um, there's one example that, that uh, should be highlighted here, and that is the consecration of Portugal by the Portuguese bishops to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in Fatima on May 31, 1931, before 300,000 people. And the following year, Portugal received Antonio Salazar as the, the president, and Portugal was also spared of the scourge of communism and a great loss of life during the Second World War, and the Portuguese bishops also renewed that consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary following the Second World War. And if you would like more information on that, you can find an article by the late John Venari online. Because I thought it was only concerning our times. But uh, uh, yeah, I was not really correctly understanding the question because when it comes to these wonderful events, miracle events, when it comes to the consecration of a given country, the uh, Immaculate Heart of Our Lady, then uh, let me refer to my third book, third book in my trilogy, and uh, the first chapter simply describes uh, Fatima in uh, first 50 years after the apparition that I travel from one country to another, starting from Portugal, by the way, uh, with this mentioned event, I traveled through Spain and the whole globe, actually, to see incredible miracles that uh, were made by Our Lady uh, within these first 50 years uh, that followed the Fatima miracles. So this shows this incredible power uh, that comes, this grace that comes from, Holy La uh, from Our Lady. We should also consider the consecration of Brazil by President Bolsonaro on May 21st of this year. And Bolsonaro, of course, who is detested by the international left, is conducting a campaign, and I'll let him describe it. He has attacked cultural Marxism, gender ideology, and environmental psychoses in Brazil. And he says, and I quote, there's a bit of a crudity in here, but I'm going to quote it anyway. We are going to get rid of all this crap in Brazil. Crap that is corrupt and communist. And so even more so than President Trump in the United States, Bolsonaro is the subject of a determined campaign to destroy him. And yet we have already a very remarkable result in Brazil from this consecration. He, in fact, signed a document commemorating that consecration. And the consecration, by the way, was conducted by Bishop Areas Rifan, who was the head of the diocesan-recognized and Vatican-approved traditionalist community of priests in Brazil, in Campos.
The next question is for Father Rodriguez. Father, what is the Fatima Center's position, or what are your own thoughts on the authenticity of the so-called Third Secret published by Jose Maria Savala in March of 2017? Uh, unfortunately, I can't uh, answer really the question because I'm not aware of what uh, what uh, the supposed Third Secret text uh, is. I mean, in terms of the, the, that uh, Savala, you said Savala, right? Savala. Um, but I would say I don't. Um, from all again, from all of the testimony that we have on the third secret, it is, um, I would say, almost certain that it it does have to do with apostasy from the faith, a a, a grave defection from the warning about a grave defection from the Catholic faith that certainly involves the hierarchy and, and quite possibly even the Pope, you know, apostasy from, you know, the very top. Um, so it, also the, you know, the credible sources, you know, different, there are different supposed texts of the Third Secret that have come out. But I think also the among those that are quite credible um, speak about, the very real possibility that the third secret contains, the text of the third secret contains specific references to uh, warning about an evil council or an evil mass uh, or an evil pope. Uh, any one of those three uh, or a combination thereof. And again, remember that the text of the third secret was supposed to be made public in 1960. So if in fact the third secret, the text of the third secret references those things, an evil council, an evil mass, or an evil pope, well, it certainly, I would say, makes sense in terms of what we've been living and seeing in the Catholic Church since 1960. And this would also definitely explain why even to this very day in 2019, the Vatican still has refused to publicize the text of the Third Secret because that would still be extremely relevant in terms of the Council, specifically the Council and the Mass, because the Vatican and, and in general the hierarchy of, of our Church to this very day continues to um, promote the Second Vatican Council and the New Mass as something that is supposedly good when basically we see a lot of um, rotten fruit coming as a result of, of these. And I would just make one other comment in terms of these terms, an evil council, an evil mass, an evil pope. Again, we don't have any guarantee that those terms are used in the text of the third secret, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if uh, if that were the case. But one of the ways to think about it in terms of evil is, again, evil is the absence of good. And I think it's very clear that in terms of both the Mass, the Council, the Second Vatican Council, 
and the um, certainly Pope Francis, but I would say even any number of the post-conciliar popes, that uh, we can clearly see how they're not um, truly being faithful to their function. In other words, like if you look at the council, the function of the ecumenical council is to clarify and reaffirm Catholic Church teaching. So to condemn error and to affirm uh, church teaching. Um, again, for the glory of God and the salvation of souls, that's extremely important that the true teachings of, the, of Christ and his church, that that be you know, clear and, and set forth for all. Um, and, and the Second Vatican Council expressly um, rejected doing that. Um, so again, a, an ecumenical council not fulfilling its function. Uh, one could say an evil council. Same thing with the mass. I mean that the mass in terms of the um, main purpose of the mass to give glory to God, to truly um, show forth that this is the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ. Um, uh, and again, in terms of sacrifice, adoration, uh, you know, giving uh, adoration to God, um, uh, thanksgiving to God, making expiation for sin, um, petitioning God for all the graces that we need. And there, when you look at the new Mass, you see grave, grave defects in all those um, functions of, of, of sacrifice and of the Mass, even in terms of the way the prayers were changed. So again, you have an um, illicit Mass that is not um, uh, fulfilling the function of the Catholic Mass. And then I think with the Pope, uh, same thing, that you see... Um, more than anything else, the Pope is supposed to take very seriously his um, uh, supremely sacred mission of confirming his brethren in the faith and again of uh, transmitting faithfully the deposit of faith, protecting that deposit of faith, um, clarifying it whenever it needs clarification, strengthening it, um, and, um, you know, so sadly we see how in the post-conciliar period we've been living in a time of such confusion and ambiguity and I think as Chris Farrar was pointing out all these novel um, ter term all this novel terminology where it just has no no, no real um, definition and you can pretty much give it any meaning that you'd like um, very recently it was reported now I, I certainly couldn't confirm this but this some of you might be familiar with the church militant the on, on the internet and the uh, Michael Vors was reporting very recently on the Amazon Synod and what he had reported was that um, recently that one of the I think it was maybe advisors to Pope Francis had expressed concern uh, I forget exactly over what it was, but that there was just a lot of ambiguity with a particular term, and that, and so the the let's say the advisor was asking Pope Francis, saying, "Look, this needs to be you know clarified because it's confusing," and that supposedly the response of Pope Francis was that um, I want this confusion, I want I want there to be confusion. Now again, 
I certainly can't verify that he actually said that. I certainly would not be surprised that he said that. But I present it just because, I mean, it certainly falls in line with so many of the things that he's been doing and saying. But it just shows how he is, um, instead of fulfilling the sacred function that our Holy Father is supposed to um, fulfill, uh, clarifying the truth, strengthening people in the truth, um, that basically doing the complete opposite. Thank you, Father. <clears throat> Our next question is for Dr. Golonka. Uh, you can respond in Polish if you wish. Uh, doctor, can you please elaborate on what you said in your talk that the choice of a spouse is more an intellectual decision or uh, based on reason versus a direct divine intervention? I think I haven't put it this way, but, ladies and gentlemen, you know, this is a kind of melange, mix of the rational and the emotional, and as they say in Latin, yes, the grace does not eliminate nature, grace uplifts nature. So for the married life, you need two things. You need a satisfaction of a kind of happiness or the fact that two people like each other in a very special way. And this me, myself, many times I've realized that we are searching for something that cannot be found because only God can fully fill up the human mind and heart so that you are entirely happy. So marriage is not intended to make a person happy. It will make the person happy. Chatterton said something very important here. It's like appetite. You are eating not to satiate your appetite, but for other reasons, for your good health. The main drive is appetite, and the same um, happens with marriage. You go upper and upper social reasons, procreation, prolongation of the humankind, souls that appear on earth to develop. It's like food. You are hungry. You feel like doing something. You feel like spending time with somebody, you fall in love with somebody, but in life you can fall in love many times and it will not help you at a certain moment. You have to make a decision. So yes, the intellectual aspect is very important indeed, but on the other hand, to marry somebody only out of common sense and the reason, it can be a failure. There are two potential traps. One thing is marrying somebody without reason, without thinking, and the other trap is not marrying anybody because you don't find the ideal candidate. And in our times, well, fathers with their experience would be able to say much more 
about it, but in our times, you have to you know, satisfy a certain minimum. You have the minimum of liking and similar principles. You know, if you marry somebody who lives according to other principles than yourselves, you will very quickly encounter problems. You may laugh in each other, but important issues as education of your children, religious practices and other things very quickly will torment your life. So you have to agree on the fundamentals. So faith and liking each other enough. I would say for people that are uh, 30 years or older, three months enough to know who the person is, then you marry, and then another three months, and it develops father. Why do uh, so few priests use the exorcism, the minor exorcism of Pope Leo XIII. Every priest has traditionally received the minor order of exorcist, or at least has this power in virtue of his priesthood, and this prayer is very much needed today. Please explain the lack of priests using this minor exorcism. Well, it's true that most don't. Uh, most priests haven't been trained in spiritual combat, especially in that area. And in the seminaries, they don't train them no more. There's also some people quote documents saying that a priest cannot use that prayer uh, without permission from the local ordinary. Uh, so that's other reasons. And it's definitely needed prayer. And the prayer he's talking about is when Pope Leo XIII uh, fell into an ecstasy and he witness Satan going to uh, confronting God and say, we give me a hundred years, I'll destroy your church. And so he came up with this long, this the long St. Michael prayer. But it's, it's a very effective prayer, and uh, priests uh, should take uh, use of it. And uh, St. Alphonse Liguori, a doctor of the church, he tells priests in the confessional too, that he has to do deliverance prayers, especially when you're dealing with habitual and recidivist sinners. Because, and this is doctor to the church. He said, so you, know, you come against the spirit that's attacking that person, impurity, whatever it may be, hatred, and that will help the penitent. And I, I could tell you I've, I've followed his advice, and it really does help. Thank you, Father. Our next question is uh, for Father Stalin. Father, since Portugal, like most nations today, is a Catholic basket case or center of modernism, of crazy modernism, how are we to understand the words of Our Lady of Fatima during the giving of the third secret on July 13, 1917? that the dogma of the faith will always be preserved in that nation. Well, this is very difficult a matter. This is difficult because, above all, we don't know whether the sentence has been completed or whether it's just a beginning of a sentence. We can, yes, accept that the Holy Mother is just starting her explanation to the children with such words. And Sister Lucy would say it very clearly. You know, the three 
dots put at the end, when you would expect some continuation of what Our Lady is intended, is willing to say. It's not like a condition, uh, keeping the dogma of the faith. If, and then you have God, Father explanation or not. You don't know because you don't know, you don't have the text. So this is perhaps the first possible interpretation. Another interpretation, well, Portugal. Portugal is, you may say, geographically. You have the borders on the map, but Portugal um, is also Portugal culture. And Portugal was a very special, outstanding country. They had the colonies around the world. And it is an incredible fact. And uh, this is what Chris Ferrara talked uh, about, namely when you look at countries that have links <coughs> with Portugal, have Portugal culture, speak Portuguese, uh, the biggest country of 200 million people, Brazil. Two days ago, I was in Brazil. I talked to our Catholic tradition um, priest there, and I was amazed to see the situation there. Well, uh, to us, we get more and more people coming in. Our priests say our best promoter to bring people back uh, to Catholic tradition is Pope Francis because he makes them also dissatisfied that our churches are quickly filled up with people and we can't manage to service them all. It's a fact. But it's also a fact that when you are asking where the people come from, are they Catholics? They've been brought up in the theology of liberation. They are witnesses to horrible aberrations by the clergy. We all know it perfectly. And most of the Catholics that come to us today, they have um, devoted themselves, consecrated themselves uh, to the mother, according to Saint Louis de Montfort. Yes, there is a strong movement. The mother of Fatima, if I'm, if I correctly remember it, and there are millions of people there in the present in the current church, and they are absolutely dissatisfied, discouraged by the clergy, and they turn with all their heart to the Holy Mother. And I've heard from my uh, brothers, I didn't know it about myself, that there, Catholics maintain their identity thanks to the Holy Mother. It could also be an answer of Portugal. Um, you know, Portugal continues its history and culture in Brazil with the support of Our Lady, and you can also say thanks to Our Lady of Fatima with her immaculate heart, the hearts of simple people of the big country are supported because they maintain the dogma of faith um, in spite of modernism that's at large. And as Ferreira said, the president would have the courage to do this and then be hit on his head by the world. Impossible without such a spiritual support. And another very interesting proof that I would like to mention, namely 
I talked to people for years. I worked in Asia. And there, in India, you have a point, place, where... Uh, the Portuguese uh, came Goa uh, with the mission in Goa. You have uh, San Francisco's average uh, tomb, and it's one of the biggest agglomeration of Catholicism in this um, Hinduistic country. And what's interesting, I talked to Cardinal um, Bishop there, and he just threw me out. He said, I don't know you, and I just asked for a permission, give us a church because churches are empty and I would like to have a holy service here and he was really um, furious and threw me out but when I talked to Christians that came to our chapel of uh, um, Our Lady of Guadalupe in Goa, you, you have more and more people gathering there and everyone who visited the um, center of San Francisco is very there all of them, all of them uh, have their first pardon, family names it sounds Portuguese and everyone who came not even knowing us came to me and said I may only have rescue in Our Lady of Fatima and then I asked them do you believe in hell? Yes and the priest well the, the priest doesn't believe in hell and here you know it's a sign that people again from Portugal with Portuguese roots all of them uh, are like minded and I think even in Portugal when you see the crowds of Portuguese people their faith is very superficial however the fact that they keep to the Our Lady of Fatima this um, contact uh, prevents them from falling into modernism trap. Yes, it's true. Portugal uh, suffering, churches empty, but maybe in the Portuguese heart of the Catholic person you still have sense of ecclesia that perhaps maybe can help execute the words of Our Lady. Our next question is again for Dr. Gonka. How do you see the future of tradition in Poland? Well, once again, to refer to my frustrations of unfulfilled matchmaker, I wanted to say one more word. Because, because when can we be sure that we are fulfilling God's life in our God's will in our life. Very simple. We don't wait for any private apparition. We don't really wait for a wave of emotions. We have to perform an act of uh, reasonable judgment. One of the four cardinal virtues is the one that makes us behave properly. And if you, even if later on it leads you to catastrophe, if the act itself was reasonable, it means that it was inspired by God. So it's prudence. If a general in chief makes a decision to go into fight based on the available information and he was betrayed and it's a failure in the 
eyes of God, he was prudent and he performed the uh, virtue of prudence. So it's inspired by God. There must be appropriate judgment. And for the judgment to be satisfactory, you also have to talk to people that have some experience. If marriage, maybe you have to talk to somebody who's been in married life for 20 years or maybe some senior priest. You have to make a decision. And the third and most important element, the execution of the decision. If we don't execute the decision that was made up in an informed way, we are in a sin of misprudence. You may think that you're not reasonable when you do things without thinking. It's true. However, according to San uh, Thomas de Aquin, the uh, non-reasonable person is the one that fails to act. So if you don't act in line with God's will because we don't execute the right decision, we are not prudent. So failure to act can be a lack of prudence as well. So this is it about married life. It's enough to make a reasonable decision. And uh, now talking about the future of Catholic tradition in Poland. Well, I have the good luck. I know the circles. I know uh, Carol since 1996. I also know, you know, internally um, strengths and weaknesses of the, these circles. And I can say it's all right. Uh, you have to take it as something uh, amusing, but you know it's an anecdote. Uh, friends um, wanted a rabbi um, convert to, to Catholicism in 17th century. He sent them to Rome. He came back. Have you got converted? When I saw all the mass and I understood that it all clings together thanks to God's grace, and I understood that church has been made by God. Yes, but in spite of all the uh, weaknesses of humankind uh, in spite of all our weaknesses. You know, right from the very beginning, we had all these obstacles on our way. And as I've mentioned in my lecture, Mawishak Bishop, whom I talked to, the general vicary uh, in the 70s, 78 in Krakow, after a long three-hour discussion at dinner time, told me, yes, bishops of tradition are Catholic bishops. And at the end, he not only blessed me, but also kissed me. And for me, it was very pleasant because it was before um, the Pope Benedict XVI uh, withdrew uh, his decision on excommunication. So it was very pleasing for me. They could see in Krakow that traditional Catholicism is not an enemy of Catholic religion in Poland. And when bishops start treating traditional Catholicism in this way, then we can develop much faster and without openness, because such gestures, gestures can be seen abroad. In France, you have bishops. You know, it's just a matter of relations with other people, but the world is changing. Tradition will develop faster. Now, uh, Catholic traditionalists are developing at its own pace. Yes, over a dozen or so of priests uh, during a decade. It's quite a lot. Uh, education, A to Z, 
And uh, as I have said, re-Christianization, it may last for a couple of centuries, or at least we must not think that we want to achieve everything overnight, because it's not doable. We shouldn't be dissatisfied then. And please don't expect that overnight the whole Polish church would come back to the tradition. But you can see in the statistics, something is not changing. Five, six, eight percent of traditional Catholics among the youth. Well, tradition should be the salt of earth. We are going to influence the whole Polish church. We are influencing it much more that we can think about uh, Catholic traditionalists in Poland, community or handhold come much faster and thanks to traditionalists at the end of the 70s when we sent uh, the brochure by Michael Davis and how many of us traditionalists were there at the end of the 90s several hundreds but the brochure of Davis um, postponed the community they had by 10 years and it's not as popular as it is abroad so we are I would say the power that by its mere presence triggers certain effects. We shouldn't be proud because we are weak and faulty and far from perfect. It's not really about being over proud. We just have to humbly continue our work and God will use it the way he wants. I would uh, add something as well. I think that the restoration of Catholic tradition in its fullness is inevitable. This is the patrimony of the church. It's a work of the Holy Ghost. What we have seen over the past 60 years involves human contrivances that do not attract vocations. That aspect of the church, what we call the Novus Ordo, is rapidly dying out. The priests still involved in it are getting older. Very few are there to replace them whereas the traditionalist orders are thriving. And by simple population statistics, it's just a matter of time before the Novus Ordo ceases to be and tradition is the remaining option. I believe that in France already we are seeing that the majority of regular Sunday churchgoers are attending the traditional mass. It's either a majority or close to a majority. Uh, Something amusing has been said in this regard by... Father George Rutler, a commentator for the Eternal Word Television Network, he says that we will know that the church has been restored when the last guitar is smashed over the head of the last Eucharistic minister. I'd like to also add something to that uh, and Kind of, I guess, maybe a little bit along the lines of what Chris just mentioned. I think that it's very important not to worry excessively about the difficulties that you will inevitably face in trying to restore our our beloved Catholic faith, obviously starting with the traditional Latin Mass. Um, I think that probably in some ways the situation in Poland will be similar to that in other countries where it isn't easy. It isn't easy because the vast majority of the faithful um, simply put lack the faith. And this includes the hierarchy. 
This is why I think it's very important to take seriously the crisis that we're facing in the church. We've talked about it as an age of apostasy. It's not going to be easy, humanly speaking, to restore our Catholic faith when the faith has been destroyed in so many ways. And so, uh, even if it doesn't seem like the restoration is going at the speed that we would like to see, um, my words would just be, look, uh, persevere. Uh, like Chris said, we know that our Catholic faith will be restored. I think what's most important is that we recognize what is taking place right now in our Catholic Church is something that is very tragic and that it's not from God, it's not from the Holy Ghost, and it's not infidelity to um, our Catholic faith and our Catholic tradition. This, I think, is extremely important that we realize that we realize we must work for the restoration of our Catholic faith, no matter what. Again, centered on the traditional Latin Mass. Um, and then not worry excessively at the, at the human results that we see. You will be, almost certainly you will be persecuted by family members, by priests, by bishops, but you have to persevere. And we cannot base our, um, uh, let's say, our state of mind on on the results that we see or we don't see. Uh, and I think that's also why the message of Our Lady of Fatima is so important. The more that you appreciate the message of Our Lady of Fatima, and also the more that you uh, you know understand the importance of our uh, of our Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, and Catholic doctrine the more convinced that you're going to be, I have to work, I have to do the best that I can in my state of life to work towards this restoration. And then whatever may happen in the future, if there are many that respond, um, praise God. And if there are not as many that respond, well, praise God as well. We have to persevere. I hate to be the gloom and doom, uh, but uh, has, I have to say uh, what I'm going to say is our Lord tells us we have to pay attention to the signs of the times. You know, when you see the, the you know leaves on the fig tree, it's going to give fruit, so forth. If you pay attention to what's going on in the church, and Pope Francis is basically crucifying anyone who even uh, has any sense of Catholicism, any bishop who even stands out like he's Catholic, he crushes him. And I, we could go through many examples. They are laicizing Catholic priests left and right. You may not know that, but it's true. And priests throughout America, I know them. They've been exiled because they're faithful, and these are just no sort of priests. And so what I believe is we got to be prepared because the church is going to go on the ground again, my friends. Just like it did in the Protestant Revolution, just like it did in the Cristeo movement, just like it did in Ireland, I think that's where we're heading, myself. And Our Lady, that's why only, only Our Lady could fix this. Only a direct divine intervention will fix this. And that's why Our Lady tells us about the chastisements of Fatima. If the Pope does not consecrate Russia in union with all the bishops, Whole, you know, Russia will spread around. Whole nations will be annihilated. 
a lady of Akita. Our Lord will destroy three quarters of the world by fire from above. This is serious. And this is where I encourage you people, be, uh, be faith, uh, help the priests that want to be faithful. Because I've seen too many priests, they, they, they give their life to God. They want to serve God with all their heart. But then the bishop is telling them, well, I'll strip you of your faculties. Well, I'm going to strip you of your medical benefits. Well, you're not going to get a salary. And many priests, are, they break because of these things. I've said so many priests in Novus Ordo I met over the years, I don't like to give communion in hand because I know our Lord's being trampled upon. But Father, if I don't do that, my bishop will exile me. Are you going to support those priests? I hope so. Because you're going to need a priest to get to heaven. And you see in times like what would happen in Ireland, I mean, the, the people used to wake up their families, 10, 12 kids, 1 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, marching in pitch dark for two or three hours to, res- to go to the mass rock. And if they were caught there, they'd be put to death. This could, I think it's coming again. Look at our, our, our fellow Catholics, real Catholics, probably the most faithful Catholics in the world, are in China, the, under, the true church underground. Because the so-called patriotic communist church of China is recognized by Rome. And that schism's come and drought the whole church, my friends. So we have to pray. We have to be prayed. And we pray for this consecration because that's the only thing that's going to stop it. Because Our Lady promises the reign of peace. The reign of peace will come after that. A great pope is going to come. A lady of good success promises that. There will be a great prelate. That's going to come, and the faith will rise up. I know many good, faithful Catholics that in their, in their house, they have little chapels. They went out and bought the Missal, a Trinitine Mass one. They bought cruets. They brought things so that they could, if a priest this comes where it's underground, they're ready. They have mass kits in their house. I think we're going there, my friends. I would like to thank Father Isaac Mary, Father Carl Schelin, Father Michael Rodriguez, Christopher Ferrara, and Dr. Wojciech Golonka for their excellent answers. Likewise, I would like to thank all of you, dear ladies and gentlemen, for your participation this weekend. On behalf of the Fatima Center, it has been a true joy for us, a real, uh, a real joy to see so many of you here united in our love for and our recognition of the uh, true and full message of Our Lady of Fatima. And through her intercession, may God abundantly bless you all. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. We invite you to visit our website www.fatima.org St. Stanislaus, St. Maximilian Kolbe, Our Lady of Fatima, Ora Pro Nobis.